to the Bernie or bust people, you're being ridiculous. Unpledged delegates exist really to make sure that party leaders and elected officials don't have to be in a position where they are running against grassroots activists. They need to clean house and create a new culture in the Democratic Party. The DNC isn't even hiding which side it's on. When this whole thing came out in the Sanders, <laughs> no. the Sanders campaign came out and accused the DNC of siding with Hillary Clinton, Debbie Washman Schultz is on TV very defensive. It makes me want to leave the party because it does not represent my morals. Well, well you're faced with a choice, Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. What are you going to do? Green Party, because that is also an option. Bill Stein. That's correct. There you have it. Brian, Rachel. If you are here today, it means you have heart. It means you have integrity. It means you recognize those who have lost their lives for us to vote today. And we will not cast that vote for anyone who is dishonest, disloyal, or not fit to lead our people. Do you think Hillary Clinton has an entitlement to our vote? Hillary Clinton doesn't have our vote. She and Donald Trump are the most disliked, most untrusted candidates for president in history. And the American people are actually clamoring at a large majority for other voices. So who are the political pundits you know, out there, the party operatives, the professionals, who are telling us, the American voters, to be good little boys and girls and please take our marching orders from the heads of the strongest establishment parties and don't look outside. If your dad struggle, your dad will win. If your dad not struggle, if you don't deserve to win. Let me say peace to you if you're willing to fight for it. Let me say it in the spirit of liberation. Freedom!
And that was Freedom by Tony Tig, which you can find on YouTube by searching for Tony Tig. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy and our revolution, the movement he helped inspire. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, PAC, or political organization. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. You can find out back episodes and some other links at Bernie-2016.com. And getting started this episode, a piece from Battle Creek Inquirer at BattleCreekInquirer.com. And this piece is by Bernie Sanders. The pharmaceutical industry has become a major health hazard to the American people. Our nation pays by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. As a result, nearly one in five Americans cannot afford to fill their prescriptions. That is unacceptable. A life-saving product does no good if patients cannot afford it. A new report from Americans for Tax Fairness explains how a pharmaceutical company, Gilead Sciences, games the system to charge high prices and then shifts the profits offshore to avoid billions in U.S. taxes. Gilead says Sovaldi sells Sovaldi, a drug used to treat hepatitis C virus. It was developed in part with taxpayer funds by a researcher who worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs and founded a small drug company. Gilead bought the company for $11 billion and used government-provided monopoly rights to set the sticker price at $1,000 per pill or $84,000 for the 12-week course of the treatment in 2014. U.S. public and private insurers, taxpayers, and patients spent more money on Sovaldi in 2014 than on any other prescription drug, according to a report from the IMS Institute for Healthcare Informatics. And yet, state Medicaid programs could afford to treat fewer than 1 in 40 patients with hepatitis C in 2014. If gone untreated, hepatitis C can end in what one nurse practitioner called, quote, some of the worst deaths I've ever seen. She said, quote, at the end, you die not knowing who you are. Your belly looks 12 months pregnant. You're malnourished and you're bleeding to death. Patients with hepatitis C are often low income and are disproportionate number and a disproportionate number of them are veterans. Gilead's profits have quintupled since it started selling the drug, from four billion in twenty thirteen to twenty two billion in twenty fifteen. Gilead claims that it earns two thirds of these profits offshore, but this is impossible because it reports earning two thirds of its revenue here in the U.S., where it charges higher prices than anywhere else in the world. The company pays an effective tax rate of just 1% in the foreign countries where it claims to do business. 
In 2013, Gilead's chief financial officer revealed the strategy by announcing the formula for Sovaldi was being transferred to Ireland in order to allow the company's effective tax rate to, quote, decline over time. Gilead's worldwide effective tax rate dropped from 27% in 2013 to 16% in 2015. So taxpayers helped bankroll the research behind the hepatitis C drug. Gilead charged Americans the highest price in the world for the treatment, and now we are getting cheated a third time as Gilead stashes its profits abroad to avoid taxes. Gilead is not the only company taking advantage of our public research funding and tax loopholes. Pfizer, Merck, Johnson & Johnson, Eli Lilly, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and many others engage in similar offshore tax dodging to avoid billions in U.S. taxes each year. At what point will Congress have enough courage to stand up to the greed of the pharmaceutical industry and say, enough is enough? Congress should address this in several ways. First, in extraordinary circumstances, such as a cure for hepatitis C, federal law allows the government to use patented inventions with or without the permission of the owner, as long as they are fairly compensated. Second, Congress must repeal the rule allowing our corporations to defer paying taxes on profits they claim to earn offshore. We must also take several other steps to lower drug prices, including instructing Medicare to negotiate drug prices and reducing the barriers to the importation of prescription medication from Canada and other countries. Americans, including veterans, retirees, and children who suffer from serious, sometimes fatal illnesses like hepatitis C and cancer, need a government that works for them, not just the CEOs of large pharmaceutical companies and the billionaire class. And up next is a piece from Sarah Ferris on thehill.com. Senator Bernie Sanders and other health care reform advocates are revving up their push for a public option after Aetna's retreat from the Obamacare marketplace this week. Sanders on Tuesday vowed to bring back debate on a government-run insurance option, one day after the nation's third-largest insurer announced a major pullback from the exchanges. The senator said he will reintroduce his legislation to create a Medicare for All system in the next session of the Senate, hopefully after Democrats regain control of the chamber. Quote, in my view, the provision of health care cannot continue to be dependent upon the whims and market projections of large private insurance companies whose only goal is to make as much profit as possible, Sanders said in a statement. Quote, that is why we need to join an, er, join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all as a right, not a privilege, he said. Aetna announced late Monday it would pull out of Obamacare exchanges in 11 states, including Arizona, Florida, and Texas. The company's CEO, Mark Bertolini, cited $200 million in losses over the past few months as a major reason for the move. 
The insurer's high-profile departure is a major blow to the law. Still, longtime public opinion, public option proponents believe they have a new opportunity to take aim at the healthcare law's heavy reliance on insurers for coverage. Sanders has long fought for a government-run insurance plan, which he says would wrest health care coverage out of the control of private insurers. In his statement Tuesday, Sanders slammed insurers like Aetna for pulling out of the exchanges. Quote, Despite the Affordable Care Act bringing them millions more paying customers than ever before, these companies are more concerned with making huge profits than ensuring access to health care for all Americans. Liberal Democrats have been increasingly vocal about the need for a public option push next year, with growing hopes that Clinton will win the White House and Democrats will take back the Senate. Sanders is hoping to become chairman of the powerful Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, which would give him a high podium in a health care fight. And from InsideClimateNews.org, the EPA's fracking finding misled on threat to drinking water, scientists conclude. This is by Neela Banerjee. An Environmental Protection Agency panel of independent scientists has recommended the agency revise its conclusions in a major study released last year, that minimize the potential hazards hydraulic fracturing poses to drinking water. The panel, known as the Science Advisory Board, issued on Thursday its nearly year-long analysis of a June 2015 draft EPA report on fracking and water. In a letter to EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy that accompanied the analysis, the panel said that the report's core findings, quote, that seek to draw national-level conclusions regarding the impacts of hydraulic fracturing on drinking water resources were inconsistent with the observations, data, and levels of uncertainty detailed in the study. Quote, of particular concern, the panel stated, was the 2015 report's overarching conclusion that fracking has not led to widespread systematic impacts on drinking water resources in the United States. The panel said that the EPA did not provide quantitative evidence to support the conclusion. The Science Advisory Board recommends that the EPA revise the major statements of findings in the executive summary and elsewhere in the final assessment report to clearly link these statements to evidence provided in the body of the final assessment report, the panel wrote. When the draft water study was issued last year, the oil and gas industry seized upon the conclusion to back its contention that fracking does not pose a threat to water. In a blog post responding to the SAB's analysis, the industry group Energy In-Depth maintained that the draft study's top-line claims on fracking's water pollution stand. Quote, the panel does not ask the EPA to modify or eliminate its top-line finding of no widespread systematic impacts to groundwater from fracking, it wrote. The EPA said it would weigh the SAB's recommendations and that it aimed to publish the final report before the end of the year.
And from theintercept.com by Glenn Greenwald. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders denounced in harsh terms the impeachment of Brazil's democratically elected president. As the Brazilian Senate heads towards a final vote later this month, Sanders described his position set forth in a statement posted on his Senate site as, quote, calling on the United States to take a definitive stand against efforts to remove Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff from office. He added, quote, to many Brazilians and observers, the controversial impeachment process more closely resembles a coup d'etat. Sanders also condemned the unelected center-right coalition under Michelle Temer that has seized power during Rousseff's suspension and is now trying to install themselves through 2018. Quote, After suspending Brazil's first female president on dubious grounds without a mandate to govern, he said, the new interim government abolished the Ministry of Women, Racial Equality, and Human Rights and replaced a diverse and representative administration with a cabinet made up entirely of white men. They are now attempting to implement radical policies that could never be democratically ratified. Quote, impose austerity, increase privatization, and install a far-right-wing social agenda. Sanders' statement comes as Brazil's elites, virtually unified in favor of Dilma's impeachment, have taken extraordinary and almost comically futile measures during the Olympics to hide from the domestic public and the world how deeply unpopular Temer is. Brazil's largest newspaper, Folha de Sao Paulo, last month was caught manufacturing polling data when it claimed that 50% of Brazilians want him to stay. In fact, their own poll showed a large majority, 62%, want Temer out and new elections held, and the paper's ombudsman harshly criticized them. Brazilian media spent months hyping the prospect of Temer's election in 2018 without mentioning the rather significant fact that he's been banned by a court for running for eight years because he violated election law. Temer himself, fearful of intense booing, demanded that protocol be broken by not announcing his presence at the opening ceremony of the Olympics. He was intensely booed anyway when Brazilians realized he was present. Peaceful ticket holders have been systematically and at times forcibly removed by Brazilian soldiers from Olympic events for holding Fora Temer, Temer out, signs, creating international controversy. Watching the military use force to silence citizens criticizing an unelected president as a jarring image in a country that suffered under a 21-year military dictatorship that only ended in 1985. Sanders' denunciation of Temer could not come at a worse time for the would-be unelected president. Executives from the construction giant at the heart of the Petrobras scandal, Odebrecht, told investigators this week that Temer's foreign minister, Jose Serra, received $23 million R, dollars R, uh, I don't know what that is, maybe real, which is equivalent of $5.5 million U.S. in illegal funds for his 2010 presidential campaign. 
In just two months in office, three of Temer's ministers have been forced to resign due to corruption scandals. Even worse, as the New York Times noted yesterday, Odebrecht executives also, quote, told investigators that Mr. Temer himself had requested more than $3 million for his centrist Brazilian Democratic Movement Party. As part of a plea deal they are seeking, the Odebrecht executives said the payment had been made in cash through a unit used to deliver bribes, according to Veja, a news magazine. It's a bit difficult to justify the removal of democratically elected president by citing corruption when far more serious corruption scandals are engulfing the person eager to replace her along with his closest associates. But that has been the sham at the heart of this anti-democratic process from the start. As Slate's Franklin Four put it in a long article on Brazil yesterday, quote, Dilma's impeachment was a farce if only for the fact that her accusers have benefited from graft on a mind-bending scale and ginned up the spectacle to distract from their own misdeeds. So a democratically elected left-wing leader in South America being pushed out of the way and with the planned for them to be replaced by a corrupt right-wing government. Sounds a lot like what happened in Honduras and turned Honduras into a country that was on the path to uh, more greater equality among its citizens to a country that has the highest murder rate, uh, among the highest murder rates of any country, in the world. And up next from the Washington Post.com by Sheldon Whitehouse and Elizabeth Warren. Both are U.S. Senators uh, Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island and Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. And this is titled Big Oil's Master Class. In rigging the system. For years, ExxonMobil actively advanced the notion that its products had little or no impact on the Earth's environment. As recently as last year, it continued to fund organizations that played down the risks of carbon pollution. So, what did ExxonMobil actually know about climate change? And when did it know it? Reasonable questions, particularly if ExxonMobil misled its investors about the long-term prospects of its business model, or if the company fooled consumers into buying its products based on false claims. So now the Attorneys General of Massachusetts and New York are investigating whether ExxonMobil violated state laws by knowingly misleading their residents and shareholders about climate change. Those investigations may be making ExxonMobil executives nervous, and their Republican friends in Congress are riding to the rescue. House Science, Space, and Technology Committee Chairman Lamar Smith, Republican Texas, and his fellow committee Republicans have issued subpoenas demanding that the state officials fork over all materials relating to their investigations. 
They also targeted eight organizations, including the Union of Concerned Scientists, the Rockefeller Family Fund, and Greenpeace with similar subpoenas, demanding that they turn over internal communications related to what Smith describes as part of, quote, coordinated efforts to deprive ExxonMobil of its First Amendment rights. Take a breath to absorb that. State attorneys general are investigating whether a fraud has been committed, something state attorneys general do every day. Sometimes they uncover fraud, and sometimes they don't. But if the evidence warrants it, the question of fraud will be resolved in open court with all the evidence on public display. But instead of applauding the attorneys general for doing their jobs, this particular investigation against this particular oil company has brought down the wrath of congressional Republicans and a swift effort to shut down the investigation before any evidence becomes public. So far, both attorneys general and all eight organizations have refused to comply. We say good for them. Let's call this what it is, a master class in how big corporations rig the system. According to the Center for Responsive Politics, Smith has received nearly $685,000 in campaign contributions from the oil and gas industry during his career. Now he's using his committee to harass the investigators and bully those who dare bring facts of possible corrupt, possible corporate malfeasance to their attention. Undoubtedly, the oil industry wants no further attention, much less court-supervised discovery into whether it has spent decades deliberately deceiving the public about the harms associated with its product. So here comes Smith and his Republican colleagues with threats of legal action designed to sidetrack state investigations and silence groups petitioning the government to address potential wrongdoing. There's plenty for the AGs to investigate. The Union of Concerned Scientists, for example, issued a 2015 report Climate Deception Dossiers, International Fossil Fuel Industry Memos Revealed Decades of Corporate Disinformation, and a 2007 report, Smoke, Mirrors, and Hot Air, How ExxonMobil Uses Big Tobacco's Tactics to Manufacture Uncertainty on Climate Science. Both reports document how the industry has protected its bottom line by funding front organizations and scientists to put out junk science contradicting what peer-reviewed scientists and even the industry's own experts were saying about how its products affected the environment. Union of Concerned Scientists President Ken Kimmel rightly dismissed the committee's request saying, quote, Mr. Smith makes no allegation that UCS violated any laws or regulations, and his claim that providing information to attorneys general infringes on ExxonMobil's rights is nonsense. Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey and New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman are also fighting back. In separate letters, they told Smith that they have no intention of complying with the committee's request. Quote, the subpoena brings us one step closer to a protracted, unnecessary legal confrontation, which will only distract and detract from the work of our respective offices, Schneiderman wrote. Smith is not the first fossil fuel-backed Republican in Congress to come to the industry's defense. In 
In May, Senate Environment and Public Works Committee Chairman Jim Inhofe, Republican Oklahoma, recipient of $1.8 million in oil and gas industry contributions since 1989, called the state's attorney general's investigation a, quote, misuse of power and, quote, politics at its worst. The greater abuse comes when congressional committees appear to operate at the behest of the industries they are meant to oversee. Congressional investigations and hearings have a unique ability to focus a nation's attention and bring facts of public importance to light. As committee chairman Smith and Hoffe can direct their committee's authority as they see fit, but using that power to stifle lawful state investigations doesn't advance the First Amendment. It tramples on it. And from the HuffingtonPost.com by James Zogby. Platform and Politics. The Change We Made. The quadrennial process of party platform writing is more of a political exercise than a policy deliberation. When party leaders sit down to debate what will or will not go into their platform, their eyes are less focused on what will constitute sound policy. Instead, they consider the politics involved in the positions they want in the document. Will they cause concern with important constituencies? Will they result in negative press? And will they provoke donors? Given this, I feel good about what we accomplished with this year's Democratic Party's platform. I say this not only as a proud member of the five-person team Bernie Sanders picked to serve on the platform drafting committee, but also as the first Arab American to have served in that capacity. Much has been written about the planks we lost or how the platform didn't go far enough, but what shouldn't be missed is that the Democratic Party is now on record embracing some of our positions and adopting some of our goals. All this is a clear recognition of the power of the progressive movement that was galvanized by the Sanders campaign and the role that Arab Americans played in that effort. The document includes a call to abolish the death penalty, the goal of establishing a $15 an hour minimum wage, an expansion of the Social Security program, a recognition of the need to provide for public option health insurance, a call to eliminate super PACs and overturn Citizens United, and the need to put a price on carbon emissions to deal with climate change. Bernie Sanders has referred to the final product as the most progressive platform in the history of the Democratic Party, and he has called for a sustained effort to ensure that after November, the goals recognized in the document become law. What didn't receive coverage but should also be noted are the many little victories we won during the platform deliberations. Sometimes they were simple, but important word changes or additions we suggested that were ultimately endorsed by all sides. For example, we were able to add language condemning the rise of Islamophobia 
And we were able to ensure the absence of any terms disparaging of Islam. We also included the protection of civil liberties as a priority concern and expanded on the definition of racial profiling to include religion, ethnicity, or national origin, thereby making the called-for ban on un-American and unproductive profiling the most comprehensive ever. In the section on fixing our broken immigration system, we co-authored with the Clinton campaign language recognizing that immigration is not a problem to be solved. It is the defining aspect of the American character and our shared history. We also called for reforming the current quota system that discriminates against certain immigrants, and we rejected attempts to impose a religious test to bar immigrants or refugees from entering the United States. The platform also proposes a way forward to defeat ISIS and Al-Qaeda and end the wars in Syria and Iraq without seeing American forces mired down in prolonged conflict in the Middle East. The document recognizes that there must be, quote, more inclusive governance in Iraq and Syria that respects the rights of all citizens and calls for providing more support and security assistance for Lebanon and Jordan, two countries that are hosting a disproportionate number of refugees, and recognizes the importance of maintaining a robust security cooperation with Gulf countries. On the matter of refugees, the platform explicitly supports President Obama's call for an international summit to address this crisis so that every country assumes its responsibility to meet this humanitarian challenge and pledges to look for ways to help innocent people who are fleeing persecution. There was, to be sure, great disappointment in our failure to change the language on Israel-Palestine. We wanted to have the platform clearly state that the occupation and settlements must end, that the suffering of Palestinians must be acknowledged, and that excessive language on BDS and Jerusalem should be removed. We argued that it was commendable to call for two states, but the refusal to note that the major impediments to the realization of that goal are the occupation and settlements calls into question the commitment to achieving a two-state solution. We also argued that our reading of the proposed language on BDS denied Palestinians the right to peacefully protest occupation, and the language on Jerusalem was contradictory, since on the one hand the platform states that, quote, Jerusalem is a matter for final status negotiations, and then says that, quote, it should remain the capital of Israel, an undivided city accessible to people of all faiths. Since our Sanders team was outnumbered, we did not win, but from our lengthy debate on these issues, several observations can be made. The draft prepared by the Clinton team sought to preempt our concerns. This is the first platform in history to speak of the recognition of Palestinians as having rights, not merely, as Peter Beinart has noted, quote, as a matter of Israeli self-interest. The platform calls for providing, quote, Palestinians with independent sovereignty and dignity, and in another place says Palestinians should be free to govern themselves in their own viable state, in peace and in dignity. 
On this subject, earlier platforms were confused at best, insulting at worst. Finally, on the issues of BDS and Jerusalem, the Clinton campaign sought to explain their language by noting that they were very careful not to say outright that we oppose BDS, but rather to oppose it only if it delegitimized Israel. And one Clinton supporter offered a caveat regarding Jerusalem, noting that nothing in their formulation would preclude Jerusalem from also being the capital of a future Palestinian state. As a reflection of the state of play of American politics, we should see that this platform, not in this platform, not a defeat, but an acknowledgement that there has been change. Change we made possible. We were able to impact the debate. In some instances, we were able to win changes in the platform. And even when we were not, we were able to force debate on critical issues of concern. That is why I was proud to be a part of the Sanders campaign and why I endorse his call to continue our forward march. We must remain a part of the progressive coalition working with our allies to elect Hillary Clinton, defeat Donald Trump, continue to transform the Democratic Party, and keep progressive ideas in the mainstream and not on the fringes of American politics. Within this coalition, we can continue to fight for progress. Outside of it, we run the risk of marginalizing ourselves and our issues. And finally, for this episode, a piece from HuffingtonPost.com by Georgia Kelly. Whenever I hear or read that Nader cost Gore the 2000 election, I realize that I do not belong in the Democratic Party. I often register in the party because I am voting for a particular candidate, or I believe that as an independent I may not be able to vote for the Democrat, as with Bernie Sanders. Since many people in California who were registered no party preference had trouble getting Democratic ballots, my fears were well-founded. Anyone politically naive enough to still be trotting out the simplistic cliché that Nader was responsible for Gore's loss is a Democrat who takes no responsibility for his or her party's mistakes. The reasons why Gore lost the election are numerous. He did not ask for a full recount in Florida. The Democrats let the Supreme Court appoint a president, which should be illegal in a democracy. More registered Democrats voted for Bush than voted for Nader. And the voting process was so skewed in Florida during that election that who really knows if Nader actually got the votes attributed to him. So, Democrats, be warned every time you trot out that simplistic reason for Gore's loss. You alienate another person or persons from voting for your Democratic presidential candidate. And you prove that your party learned absolutely nothing from that loss. Scapegoating an outsider is always easier than introspection into the multiple causes of a particular defeat. There are many Democrats who are actually amazed that Bernie Sanders did so well in the primaries. They have not been paying attention to what is happening in our country. The movement that has been growing for years 
took off with the addition of a whole new generation this cycle. They are not Democrats. They are not Republicans. They are citizens who don't buy into the with us or against us rhetoric that George Bush made so famous. Don't even think of trying to scare these people into voting for Hillary. They don't vote from fear. They vote for purpose, vision, and progressive values. The inclusion of so many of Bernie's platform planks into the Democratic Party's platform with Hillary at the helm are good reasons to vote for her. The more Bernie and his issues are taken seriously by the Democratic Party, the more likely the Berniecrats will turn out and vote for Hillary in November and vote for Democrats up and down the ballot. It's that simple. Bernie supporters will not vote for Trump, but they will also not be manipulated into voting for Hillary. Give them enough reasons to believe that Hillary Clinton administration will continue with the platform adopted at the Democratic Convention and that her cabinet will also include people who advocate and will push for the issues that Bernie championed in his campaign. Then the turnout will guarantee a Democratic Party win on many levels of government. And that will wrap up this episode of Bernie 2016. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. Check out the website Bernie-2016.com to find back episodes and find out some other links. You'll also find a link on there to my Patreon if you want to make a donation to keep this podcast going. Uh, you can follow that link or you can go directly to patreon.com slash unrelated things and make a donation there. So as we go out tonight, we will hear the song High Hopes by Rex Dean. And in this song, you will hear Rex Dean say, vote for Bernie Sanders. And while you may think that you can no longer vote for Bernie Sanders with the uh, Democratic primary election over and Bernie Sanders not getting the nomination and Bernie Sanders not being on the ballot come November. You can still vote for Bernie Sanders. You can vote for Bernie Sanders ideas and you can vote for Bernie Sanders platform and Bernie Sanders positions. There are a lot of candidates out there both at the presidential level and below that are working hard on the platform that Bernie Sanders stood for. And you should check them out and you should support them and you should vote for them in any remaining state primaries for lower offices. And you should vote for them in November. So here again is High Hopes by Rex Dean. Thanks for listening. Next time you're told that Bernie Sanders can't win, there's a lot you can say. So listen in. Vote for Bernie, everyone should feel the burn in their neighborhood. Everyone knows that he 
would do the country some good cause he's got high hopes he's got high hopes he's got jobs school and peace he's got my hopes come on and vote for bernie let's vote for bernie and common sense will prevail Whoops, there goes the greedy billionaires Whoops, there goes the xenophobic fears Whoops, there goes the climate deniers plot Next time you're told that Bernie Sanders will fail There's a lot you could say Tell them this tale This land's your land and it is mine Time to stop that corporate crime Let's put the demos back in our democracy now Cause we've got high hopes We've got high hopes We've got health care and clean air in the sky Hopes Come on and vote for Bernie, let's vote for Bernie and show the Congress who's boss. Whoops, there goes the prisons we don't need. Whoops, there goes the bankrupt war machine. Whoops, there goes the way the country's been run. Cause we've got high hopes, we've got high hopes, we'll get to D.C. with high hopes. Come on and vote for Bernie. Let's vote for Bernie and you can feel the burn too. Whoops, there goes the bank's too big to fail. Whoops, there goes the lobbyist to jail. Whoops, there goes the politicians for sale.